Okay, our next panel after that wonderful morning tea, and there's lots more food to come today, um, in the era of technology, when or if do you start Braille? Um, our chair today is Vincent, um, who's spent years working in vision and clinical visual electrophysiology clinics, and he's currently working at UTS as an academic teaching low vision. We've got Connor, who single-handedly changed Australia's national currency permanently. Much for the better. We've got... Yeah. How's that? Uh, Sonali's manager of the alternative format publications at RADBC and the president of the roundtable on information access for people with print disability. And Hazita is an occupational therapist uh, with a master's in special education. Um, let's get rolling. Vincent, uh, do you want to introduce yourself? We'll pass through just a little 30 seconds on everybody and then we'll get into the nub of the question.
We'll stop asking Connor about Brad. Are you a Bradley Weirdo? new technology do you need braille today? So in, in terms of um, the benefit, in terms of the benefit of um, being able to read uh, re Braille, uh, I was just wondering if um, um, both of you can comment on the sort of benefit that we can get. I guess because uh, my passion is early intervention, I really believe that um, the earlier we can introduce Braille, um, the better. Um, and you know, as was mentioned earlier by um, Ron, Braille really provides you with literacy. Um, it provides you the information about grammar, sentence structure, um, you know, being able to understand um, how paragraphs, you know, about paragraphs, um, page numbers, you know, what a book looks like. You know, um, when you use technology, you might um, be able to get Braille um, through a refreshable Braille um, device, but you might only get a line at a time, so you're not able to see a whole page um, at a time. Um, so yeah, I really think that Braille um, sets the foundation for, for skills that you might need later on in life. So if you think about um, when you um, have employment, some of the activities that you might be required to do in a job, you might be writing um, you know, documents, um, responding to emails, um, and you need to know how to spell you need to know how to um, write a, a proper sentence and you know things like that. So yeah, I think it's really really critical to have Braille. If I told you that you can't have print, what print is to a sighted is what Braille is to a touch reader. So it is as simple as that. You level the playing field and you say no, no print and no Braille then you could say eliminate Braille. But if you're not willing to let print go, you cannot, cannot, cannot eliminate Braille. All, this, all our kids or all of us 
sighted people are exposed to braille at a very young age. We don't know, we can't read print, but we are exposed to print and we can then at some stage it clicks and we can, we can start recognizing those patterns in prints as words or meaning. So what that does is exposing a child to braille is also, or having those dots on their fingers is exposing them to patterns which will someday make sense into something meaningful. It is another medium for the spoken language. It is like telling you that the spoken language can be expressed in another way for us, that is writing or print. For the people who will go on to read Braille, it is Braille or touch readers. So Braille is, you cannot get rid of Braille, that's one. Secondly, of course technology plays a great part and you can have speech output. But if you, have, if you see studies conducted all throughout the world, people who, have, who are better learners when they learn through Braille at certain ages because reading Braille is more time consuming. So the results, the exam results, I forget the study now. It's, you know, just when you want to remember it, you just can't think about it. But if you Google it, there are studies to show that learning through Braille is more hard work, so you retain that information. Whereas if you were to just get it through speech output, it's great because it gives you the skim reading bit, but that's not as effective. Please jump in if you uh, have any question from the floor. There's, um, uh, sorry. So um, for a student who has low vision and is reading um, using their vision, um, when should we or should or should we consider Braille at any point if it's stable? Yep. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Many years ago, I would have said continue on with just visual access. But I remember attending an albinism conference um, several years ago now and um, hearing um, a presentation by an adult with, with albinism. And what she said really stuck in my mind that if only she had learnt Braille, um, you know, she would be able to go to bed at night and be able to just, you know, tactually read because she found it so exhausting to be using her vision throughout the whole day. And I think what we forget is that our world is so visual and for low vision students that visual fatigue um, really has a big impact on their functioning. Um, you know, I'm working at the moment supporting um, a student in year 11 who has low vision and you know, he's struggling to use his vision because he wants to be the same as, as other students. He doesn't want to use too much um, technology. He, he wants to continue writing, he wants to um, continue to access stuff just using you know, a small magnifier. Um, but by the end of the day, his mum says to me, he just, he's got nothing left. 
and he's falling behind in all of his assessment tasks. So I think um, what you need to consider, it's very individual, I believe it's very individual for every student, um, and you need to um, you know, pull in that support network, so the team around that student, um, and get different perspectives. You need to think about the tasks that they're needing to, to um, do, the, the type of information they're having to access. Um, is it sustained reading that they're having to do at different times? So there could be different periods of the day where they experience a lot of visual fatigue that it might be worthwhile either introducing some technology, assistive technology, or you know, um, considering Braille as an option. But I think it's very individual and um, you know, we, we often talk about what is the preferred alternative format of, of a, um, a person and it should be up to them individually yeah, what they prefer. I think the basic question here is, do you want the student to learn Braille? If it is Braille, that Braille is a very tactile language. So the print then has to be small so they can actually read the Braille and not the print. But if your intention is just to give them an overview, use their sight and see, okay, these are where the dots are similar to Sim Braille, then I guess that is okay. But Braille is not a visual language. So with that, you know, with considering your child in that particular case, your print should be smaller because your intention is to teach. Oh, okay. He can. Oh, I thought he's looking at the dots and he's reading it visually, like a lot of, like I do. Visually. Mm -hmm. Perspective, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, and I guess just thinking about, as I said, what is the activity and how efficient are they um, in accessing the material visually um, and, and tactually? Like, yeah. About efficiency as well as access to the information. Connor, did you want to? Yeah. So, I suppose how does the how does the braille get produced? If you're a student, you're at school, you've got piles of textbooks, books right from preschool on. How does it get produced? What are the lead times? What are the practicalities? That's right up my alley. <laughs> bring these questions on. <laughs> so for all the teachers out there, mainstream teachers or vision support teachers, you will all know that Braille or converting, translating or transcribing Braille is a time-consuming process. Your lead time can be up to six to eight weeks depending on the material. Maths takes really, really long time. A high school maths textbook with you know integration and derivatives and all. The whole textbook can take up to 2,500 hours. And that is, I'm just, 2,500 is because it needs to be proofed. You need to draw tactile diagrams. A geometry chapter can have up to 350 diagrams. You need to get those proofed. Then you make the changes and then you send it out. So one, the curriculum or the classroom teacher needs to be very organized in the chapter order or what she's going to teach. She needs to communicate that to whoever is going to 
translate or transcribe Braille and you can't give any last minute requests or you can't change the order of chapters. What luckily for us in this time, we have an excellent relationship with publishers. So publishers are releasing PDFs and publisher files to us. And that has come about in the last two months or so. So last three months, Australia has signed the Marrakesh Treaty. Last three years, Australia has signed the Marrakesh Treaty. So through the Marrakesh Treaty, we've changed our copyright law. And because of copyright law changes, we are, a, we are able to share a lot of books with other countries. So that's a great win. But end of the day, we have the Australian National Curriculum. And then you have the Australian National Curriculum for NSW. Australian National Curriculum for Victoria and then for other states as well. So essentially we are doing our own things and every publisher, every publisher also needs to make money so they revise the edition every two years. So there you go. There's a lot of money to be made there. It is also if the teachers can accommodate and ask agencies like the Department of Education or RIDBC to look through whatever has been produced before and select textbooks which are done in alternative formats before uh, already produced, it will save you time. So, so that's the perspective from your perspective, creating the materials. So Connor, I'm interested in, from the position of being in the classroom, how often are those materials actually available? And how does that process impact you? Say nice things. <laughs> I have two perspectives here. Nice things or truthful things? <laughs> <laughs> the truth. Well, um, look, usually, like, the, like, no, like I said, you really do need a teacher who's really on top of things. And I'm blessed to have a teacher who I'm right on top of most of the time. I say most of the time because plans do change. And if you understand, trust me, we are the reason the plans change. But um, usually it's available. Sometimes it's not, and that can be a bit difficult where the teacher really to move on or just revisiting something a bit heavier that even you didn't get. Um, but then um, RADBC hasn't had time to get it because it's just further moment. So let's keep doing this. Um, usually it's available, but like Sonali said, it's really up to the organization of the teacher in question. Um, but yeah, when, when it's not available, um, again, with the organization of the teacher, sometimes that has something for you ready. Uh, that's usually in terms of technology, so in terms of braille, there's not much So I guess um, um, in the um, interest of vision, um, what sort of level of vision um, should we start um, teaching people Braille, I guess? Um, um, coming back to the original question, seeing a little dot on the, um, the on, on, on the braille, um, then 
let's say that if you can somehow evaluate how quick a person um, can read, can you use that as a benchmark? As uh, can you use that as a benchmark to um, to decide? Because uh, is there any uh, actually guide uh, for us to you know to to, to follow? When I um, first became the manager of um, the vision services, I was guided by my previous manager who had said to me, when a, when a child has a level of vision of five over 60 or worse, maybe start considering well then. And I guess we don't want to wait until they get to school and we can do sort of reading tests and things like that because we really need to start ex um, introducing the skills that they require for reading and writing Braille in early intervention. So the things like their um, hand skills, their fine motor skills, their tactile skills, um, concepts um, around books and numbers and left to right, top and bottom. Um, so I guess I've always um, guided the teams that I've worked with to when, um, when an, orthoptist, an orthoptist does a functional vision assessment and comes up with five over 60 and and you're looking at how that child is accessing their environment. Are they, you know, demonstrating any tactile skills? Are they trying to explore things tactually as well as visually? Then maybe we need to consider some Braille skills. And it might not be actually starting to introduce Braille, but it might be developing the fine motor skills that they may need later on. And yes, we have had children in early intervention where we know that they've got deteriorating conditions, so we want to start exposing them to Braille by giving them dual media, um, print Braille books. Um, and they will do, like what Ruth, you mentioned, you know, your student does, and they're reading the Braille and picking at the dots. Um, but there might be times that we, we may do activities where we're just getting them to use their touch and not using their vision um, to really try to develop those tactile discrimination skills. Um, but although they may not demonstrate in those early years that they uh, are going to be braille readers or you know need to be using braille i think it's later on when the print changes the print demands change you know in kindy you might just have a line of print but once they start to get to high school the the um, you know the documents that they're going to be reading the books that they're going to be reading the print's going to be much smaller so that's when we're going to see um, that we might need to introduce braille and you don't want to be starting to introduce it just at that point um, you know, we want to ensure that they've got all those foundation skills, those hand skills and concepts prior to that point. So, yeah. I think it varies. Um, you know, with some of the younger kids, I've seen that they do resist the braille, or you know, they're picking at the dots. Um, so it might be that you have to introduce different types of activities. So you're not saying we're actually going to learn, you know, braille. It might be that um, we're going to. You might have a um, a treasure chest box that you know um, you get them to reach into, and they can't see what they're feeling, and they have to try and describe, you know. Um, what the shape of the object is, what it feels like, if it's hot, if it's cold. So really trying to teach some of those concepts and how they can use their tactile skills to really understand, you know, the, the features of an object. Um, 
yeah, because I think you can't force them to to not use their vision if they if that's the way that you know they prefer. Um, so you've just got to think about different types of activities that you could um, introduce to them to get them using their tactile skills. And and then I've you know I've had some older students where um, it might be that the a parent in the family has a similar condition to their child, and you know throughout their schooling they've never. Um, been introduced to Braille and they feel that they, you know, they've managed so, you know, why should should their son also have to do um, have to do Braille? But I guess it comes back to that individual, you know, um, and we, we all know that no two um, people with the same diagnosis are the same, function the same. Everyone is very individual and what you have to do in your daily life can be very different. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it really is um, checking in with you know with the student if they're able if they're old enough to tell you how they feel but also helping the student to understand the benefits of um, Braille and, and what it will help them to access and be more independent in later on in life yeah I'm wondering if we put this. Oh, sorry. Um, so, sorry. The question. There were two parts to that question. <laughs> so, I might get you to repeat it actually. So, um. so the first uh, first part um, is um, whether you learn to read Braille, and if you don't use it, uh, do you lose that ability? Is that? Into. Now, um, <laughs> how do you feel? Do you, sorry, do you have any experience? Now, I'm, I haven't come across or read any specific paper on that topic um, um, as a new um, media. Um, but I, um, I can make uh, a prediction or anticipate that it will be slow uh, because you are introducing um, a language that being processed in different, uh, different ways. Um, so in terms of vision, in terms of vision, we know that when we read, we don't just go and collect, let's say, the word safe site, and then we say the first letter is S, the second letter is A, and then we feed that into the visual system. The visual system can capture it simultaneously and feed it into um, our visual system. That's the first stage. Whereas if you switch to Braille, then you say, I'm going to have to read it serially, feed it in serially. It's a different form of processing. So in terms of 
getting there in the first um, uh, site of um, cortical processing already, it's slow. So then you have to learn to cope with, so how do you actually put them together in terms of a context? So that will take time, and I would imagine uh, it'll be something um, uh, as a challenge uh, for a child to learn it, it will take time because it's a dual uh, system. I just, uh, you know, it's relating to this, so just quick one. I just wanted to give you a case study on one of our dual uh, readers. So he's, he were, his, uh, he could read up to 44, for between 40 and 44 points font size and was learning Braille at the same time. So his preference was to do large print because he did have functional vision and he could read. But because of visual fatigue, he couldn't read text, you know, after working the whole day. So when he started getting an introduction to Braille, we would do all his di diagrams and all images as last large print, and he started getting his Braille. Uh, as he got proficient in Braille, he started getting all his text as Braille. As days went on, he actually preferred using Braille, and that's where individual preferences do come in because he thought it, he could get everything in all. It was just too difficult to switch between large print diagrams and Braille. And as you would know, 40 or 44 point in a high school textbook, you wouldn't even get one paragraph on an A4 page. So on that textbook, if you were to say, oh, you know, refer to the diagram below, you know, the textbook is below, but it's page 15 of a large print page. So you don't get the context, or from a cognitive point of view, it's not the best way to learn. Sorry.
I guess, um, um, so how important is it for parents to, to have to learn Braille? Um, so I guess from an early intervention perspective, we always talk about parents as, you know, their children's first teachers. And if you think about, um, you know, with a, a, a sighted child when they go to school, they would bring home readers and read with the parents. So you want to be able to, I guess, you know, simulate a similar situation that you can read with your child. But, um, you know, these days, that's why we have the dual media books too, so that you've got the braille um, there and the print is there so that the parents who can't um, read braille can follow along. And um, we've, um, RIDBC has, has just put out some, some books called DAP Dots that Tricia, one of our um, specialist teachers of vision, has put out to really help um, parents um, learn um, the Braille a lot easier. So there's the print and the Braille directly under. So yeah, so I think um, it is, because learning Braille isn't just about, you know, learning the dots, it's having those shared um, experiences with your children um, in which you can engage and um, help them have meaningful um, interactions um, with, you know, um, everyday routines and that. So um, often we'll talk about having books um, around an experience that, you know, you may have, as a family, gone to the sea or, you know, gone to the beach. You may have collected some seashells and things and you could create a book around it. So being able to put Braille into it. But that's where, in early intervention, you know, it would be your early intervention um, uh, specialist that would help support creating those um, Braille literacy resources and for school age there would be for independent schools, the alternative format production team, or you know, department Catholic Ed would have their own um, teams. And, and Two more Um, so for children who where vision is just a, one part of their disability and they may have other issues going on, is there any case for learning Braille without using your, your fingertips or, you know, is there anything else that you could use? I'm not aware of anything. I'm not sure if I can put it out to the audience. Um, perhaps I can just comment and it could be fiction at the moment. There's um, echolocation. Uh, everyone is quite interested in developing that technology. So, as it were, how do bats actually learn about the environment that they fly through? Now, a little um, a vampire, vampire bat can navigate through uh, a, a, a treetop without getting brushed by a leaf. That means it needs to somehow echo different frequency um, as it flies through and it capture all of this and it can visualize these little tiny detail of the leaves so that it can uh, read what the environment is. So at the moment there's a lot of um, people out there uh, invest money in this technology so that they can then use it to map a surface so then um, people can 
actually uh, feel or hear the surface. So um, something that, um, sorry, I don't know your name, Elizabeth. Elizabeth used to find helpful when she was younger. Her mum used to have some letters um, that she put on that she put on the fridge that had braille, and you could actually feel um, the braille. Three D letters, okay. Mike, um, I just want to, Natalie had, had something to say, yeah. Just a reminder that Braille is not just about reading, it's about production. So even if you don't have the tactile ability to discern it with your fingers, that you, it, there's still value in being able to produce Braille. Uh, I think the second thing was that there are other forms of communication. An example that was given is that uh, a mother communicated with her child during times of distress by actually using the six fingers that you would use on the six keys of a Braille typewriter to actually produce Braille by touching the fingers in the same patterns as each. So I've got, I've got to stop now. I'm sorry. Uh, we thank you very much to our Braille panel. Really appreciate it. Fantastic. <laughs>